You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I have another full one for you today. Therapy Thursday, some podcast mailbag questions get to the heart of some of the main topics going on. Dwayne Haskins, Bruce Allen, and even a Steven Sims question. How about that? And I also have Jordan Ronan, my ESPN counterpart who covers the New York Giants. We're talking Daniel Jones. Also, what did the Giants think of Dwayne Haskins? Why did they go with Jones over Haskins in the draft? So a little bit of talk there. And then... Ending on a light note, barbecue topics with Chef Mel, the famous Chef Mel that you hear about on Twitter from us every Friday in the media room. But first, my conversation with Jordan Ronan. And now it's time for the stepchildren of the NFC East to chat. I'm bringing in ESPN Giants reporter Jordan Ronan to join me. And Jordan, thank you for your time. And you know we're we're the unglamorous okay. ones, but you know maybe you're not you're maybe you're not anymore with Daniel Jones coming along. Well, over here at least, you know, <laughs> we were stuck in this uh, depressing vortex. But at least putting in yeah. the young quarterback here after you know so many years of being stuck in in this downswing for the Giants. It feels like I feel like I'm Bill Murray in Groundhog Day <laughs> when the cal- he finds out the calendar actually turns to the next day. <laughs> That's what at least it feels like at the Giants. We know they're not going to be good, right? I mean, their defense is still bad, and Daniel Jones is now without Saquon Barkley, but at least they have hope now for the future, and it's something to rejuvenate really a fan base that if <laughs> if the Giants had lost the other day and Eli Manning was still the quarterback, this would have been a depressing atmosphere at the stadium on Sunday. It really would have been. I think I can, I think I can understand that situation kind of pretty well. Um, were, you surprised, yeah. were you surprised by what he did the other day? How could you not be? I mean, who, who expects a quarterback in their first career start as a rookie to go out there and just light it up? I mean – Four total touchdowns. I mean, you, you see, how many rookie quarterbacks have you seen? But probably more than me because of your quarter, the quarterback situation <laughs> down there for so long. But you see young quarterbacks when they first come into the league and they first get in game action and they look like deers in the headlight, right? I mean, I know you've seen that before. Yeah. And it looks like the game is moving so fast and they're seeing defenses that they've never seen before. I mean, that happens all the time. But no, Daniel Jones goes in and – Really, you can see it from the first drive, like the first two drives. They, I think they only got a field goal on the opening drive, but you could just tell. He looked like he belonged, and the situation just wasn't too big for him right from the start. So if you made a scale of like 1 to 10, 
of how you thought Daniel Jones performed in his first career start. This was like a 12. What changed the most for them? Was it what I know he can he's Eli's Manning is not a runner. Daniel Jones can run. But what else changed for them? But it's not just running, John. Right. It's being able to navigate the pocket and make plays and then throw the ball, right? He made one throw, and this is, in my opinion, his, the best throw he made all day. He gets pressured off, you know, from his blind side. From the, mm-hmm. the, his left tackle is beat pretty cleanly. So he gets pressure from his blind side, but sees it, slides to the left, keeps his eyes locked downfield, and threw the ball against his body, sort of like a deep post. Right in stride, hits Darius Slayton, also a fellow rookie. 47 yards it went in the air against his wow. body. That's just a throw you weren't going to see from Eli Manning at this point in his career. You weren't going to see Eli Manning move like that at this point in his career. It just opens up the offense in ways that they weren't before. And the Giants were awful on third downs earlier this year. First two games of the season, if they had third and seven, or th- anything third and seven or more it was over. They had 0% chance of succeeding. They were 0 for 12, right? And not only 0 for 12, but I think it was eight of them. They weren't even throwing the ball over the sticks. So they had no chance of having success if they were stuck in third and long. And then Daniel Jones comes in, first third and long he gets into, and he converts it downfield. So the downfield throws consistently – and I'm not just – by saying downfield – I'm not just talking about 30, 40 yard when you're throwing deep balls, right? Mm-hmm. He's willing to attack the middle of the field, the the mid range throws, right, which are important. ten to fifteen yard throws that you just th- weren't seeing Eli attack regularly. Eli actually in the first two weeks had 26 throws at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's an average of 13 per game. Daniel Jones this week, a league low two. Wow. Same offense, same plays but just a different way of approaching it and a different way of attacking. What has this done for the – I mean, I, I can't imagine the lift it's given that locker room. What's it been like for what, – what have guys been saying in there about this? I think it's sort of like certain guys feel liberated hmm. in the fact that they were – like I said before about the Groundhogs Day, they too were stuck in the same thing. They were kind of stuck in this thing with Eli, you know, legendary quarterback, guy they respect greatly, having to walk on – you know, around this really sensitive topic for so long. And really, this was Odell Beckham's, you know, complaint, biggest complaint. This was the source of his discontent for the last couple of years. He knew Eli was done. He wanted to move on from Eli. That's the reality of the situation. A hundred percent. Fact. Telling you. (laughs) And he wanted to move on. And he was ready to move on. They wanted a quarterback who can get in there. And when the play breaks down a little bit, they still had, to, and talking about the receivers, still had an opportunity to make plays, right? Mm-hmm. A little freelancing. And so, in a way, I feel like they, they, they feel refreshed. They feel like this was a total reset. It's like, okay, this is a new, new era, a new generation. We have an opportunity to do something. And what happens in the first game with this new quarterback? The two guys that have been here the longest, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, both top 100 yards. So I think they're all feeling really good and that this could be the start of something special and different because it's different than what they've been used to 
throughout the first, what, three or four years of their career that Shepard and Ingram have been here. Do you, did you ever find out what they thought about Haskins before the draft or why they went this direction? I think the Giants liked Haskins. I just think there were things they liked, they loved Jones, right? They, right. they liked Haskins, but they loved Jones. Gotcha. They, they thought, and they've said this many times, then without disparaging Haskins, but they thought that Daniel Jones's demeanor, personality, the way he carries himself, made him ideal for the New York market. In the way that Eli Manning kind of has thrived right. in the New York market, right? He's so unassuming, and just as he, he's not interested in anything. Any of that other stuff, you know, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I, by other stuff, and I'm not saying negative stuff. You know, it just he has that personality where he's able to shrug everything off. He doesn't listen to the outside noise. He just look at the way he handled the whole draft part, right? He remember he's drafted number six overall. Giants fans in general go nuts. Yeah. Not just Giant fans. Pundits are calling the Giants stupid. Daniel Jones can't play. I mean, it went from. And it was, was really unrealistic. You know, you were looking yeah. at the quarterbacks, too. Daniel Jones wasn't a guy who was a third-round pick. No. Who ended up going six overall. I liked him was, better than Drew Locke. I know that. I do remember. Yeah, the dude, the dude was going to be a mid-first-round mid pick, late-first-round pick at worst. Right. So the idea that he was, like, it was so ridiculous that they took Daniel Jones. It, went, it got so blown out of proportion, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. It, it, became, it became ridiculous. But also, but also, I think we've seen so far, like you know, Dwayne Haskins. He's sitting. Why is he sitting on the bench in uh, in Washington right now? Because he's not ready, right? Correct. That's part of the deal. He he needed to grow more, and maybe Daniel Jones, coming from a David Cutcliffe, was already further along as well. He was more mature. He had more playing time at Duke. Dwayne Haskins. That was the other knock, right? He played one year. Right. So all these things together made him the more. Uh, I shouldn't say realistic, just the, the better choice for right. the Giants, their brass, and for what they were looking for. Because the pressure of New York is next level. Right. He's replacing Eli Manning on top of everything else. So that just adds to it. You need a certain personality to be able to handle that. And the early returns on Daniel Jones are pretty great because all that stuff that happened before the draft, I mean, this kid has been totally immune to it. He said he realizes and recognizes it, but... You haven't seen anything about him that uh, you know that indicates that it's bothered him even the slightest. Does day is there a different renewed level of confidence in Gettleman? You think because of this past week? I think a little bit, but I don't think that's one that's going to take time because there's a list now of moves that you're just scratch your head with Gettleman uh, of okay, what are we doing here, right? Because the reality is the Giants. And you want to? Well, you'll see on Sunday. That defense is bad. Yeah, it looked bad. They have no talent. They have no talent. I mean, you you will not find a team in this league with less defensive talent than the New York Giants right now. And I think that includes. I mean, I guess they're they're right there with the Dolphins. How about that? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, part of that reason is they re-signed Odell Beckham and then traded him a year later. That was Dave Gettleman. They rolled back Eli Manning twice. Right. Right? So he's now $23 million dead cap space sitting on the bench. They're going to have 
between their $40 million in dead cap space for trading away guys that were mostly pretty good players and Eli Manning's $23 million dead cap hit that's basically sitting on the bench. I'm saying dead because he's on the bench and they're getting right. nothing from it these final 14 games, right? That's $60-plus million. They're getting zero production from this year. That's more than a third of their salary cap that they're getting nothing from. So that's why the product on the field is not going to be great. I can relate to that because this the Redskins have about $45 million approximately from guys who, like Jordan Reed, Trent Williams, Alex Smith, who have done nothing, and that kills your roster. With, without, Bar, without Saquon Barkley in there, is it Gelman? Does he get the stuff, or what's going to happen there? It's the Wayne Gallman show. I mean, that's who they're going to roll with as their top back. We're, we're taping this on, uh, what is today, Tuesday afternoon. I expect the Giants to, I mean, they have to add a running back to their roster because they only have one healthy tailback on their entire roster right now. And then their fullback, uh, Elijah Penny, he's a converted uh, running back also. But, look, it's going to be Wayne Gallman. He's their guy. That's, that's the guy who's, uh, what is he, in his third year from Clemson. He can run the ball, too. I mean, he's, he's a pretty – you'll be surprised. He'll, they'll have some success with him as a runner, I think. And he runs with power. He's a little lean and looks like he runs a little bit upright. Mm-hmm. But he's still able to run with a lot of power and pretty successfully. The difference is, A, he's not explosive, explosive as Saquon Barkley, which, to be fair, not nobody in the league probably is as explosive right. as a running back as Saquon Barkley. And he's also not as good a receiver, so there's a downgrade there. I wouldn't be surprised at all if whoever the Giants brought in this week, whether it's from they have two guys on their practice squad right now or they bring someone else in, it's going to kind of help out as the passing down running back, sort of in their their Chris Thompson-type role. Okay. Going back to the Gettleman thing, did I'm, Landon Collins came out with some pretty harsh words about him, calling him a liar, a man yeah. I don't trust. Josh Norman said... Every time I, th- I think it was NJ.com, I think they told us to. Every time I see him, yep. I want to smash his face. Was there any reaction to guys in the locker room there to some of this stuff? No, there really wasn't. The Giants don't have a lot of holdovers. Uh, <laughs> the Giants don't – look, they really don't have a lot of guys that have been around that long. Gettleman kind of overhauled the roster. I think there's like 10 players left from the 53 beforehand. Yeah, he overhauled the, lo- the roster so completely that the guys in the locker room now, they're all Dave Gettleman's guys. Okay. So you're not going to sense that kind of reaction that you get from the guys that have been exiled uh, over in Washington. So in the ros- in the inside the building right now are the Gettleman guys. Everywhere else around the league are the non-Gettleman guys. But you have to be a little concerned if you're the Giants in that there's a trend there with Dave Gettleman, right? Yeah. And it's really like it, it. It's like it existed when he was in Carolina, and it doesn't seem to have changed when he was with the Giants. And I get where Landon Collins is coming from in this regard, right? He was a team captain here, a guy they drafted. He did all the right things for this team. He deserved the right to be told straight up what the Giants' plan was. There was no reason they had to be all. Uh, quiet and sneaky about their intentions with him. They should have just been straight up with him and told him in advance what they were going to do throughout. Instead, they were wishy-washy. They told him he was going to stay at the trade deadline last year, which was really their biggest mistake if they're going to let him go. They should have really peddled him at the trade market. The Redskins 
paid what was a fourth round pick for high clan decks yep and you saw the, the open market told us Clinton Dix's value on the open market is, you know, here, and I'm putting my hand in, like, the middle of the road. Right. And the, the open value market for Landon Collins was at 17 levels above that, right? So if the Giants were really going to move on from Landon Collins, he should have been getting assets in return. But they thought they were going to keep him, and they changed their mind. They were wishy-washy with him. They didn't tell him. And to me, that's Gettleman. He, he should have been up front and explained it and been more open and honest. And Landon Collins did deserve that. And, and that's something you would have hoped he would have learned from after he had this problem in Carolina. But it doesn't appear that that, that occurred. All right, Jordan, last question. You know, you watched that game Monday night. You've covered this, you know, this game, the Red, you know, being at Redskins Stadium and FedEx. When you see that Monday night, how they looked, the, the way the atmosphere is and all that, how do you view this franchise? From afar, I think the outside perspective is that that franchise is a mess, and it really all starts because of ownership. And I heard uh, people today say Jay Gruden needs to go, but this, in my opinion, they should be saying Bruce Allen needs to go. <laughs> I mean, the yep. team they're putting on the field from the outside perspective is just not good. You can't. I. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to – and I haven't really looked that hard into it, but I'm hard-pressed to imagine there is a team in this league with worse offensive weapons than the Washington Redskins. Right? I mean, seriously. Yeah. They, your running back right now is an aging Adrian Peterson. Your, their best receiver is a rookie. Their quarterback, we know, is a journeyman. Like – how can how can anybody expect Jay Gruden to be have overwhelming success there with what's being given to him to put on the field? So I, I think that's sort of the outside perspective that this team is just headed in the wrong direction. And and I think it's kind of like the Giants until you see right. that next quarterback that Dwayne Haskins get on the field and start flashing. There's really not going to be a lot of hope out there. No, that that's going to be the interesting part of this year for Redskins fans is when Haskins does start to play because at some point you're going to put him in because you can't if, if you're on five on six on seven or whatever the record is there's no reason not to play him whether or not they say he's not ready or feel he's not ready there's just no reason to not play him at that point so I think we'll the see Giants got to that Giants got to that point in week two like their defense was so bad their offense was pedestrian at best I mean they weren't scoring points they got to that point they said look we know what everybody and everyone who watched them get smacked by the Cowboys and Bills knows that this is not a playoff team. We might as well start to get Daniel Jones, who at least proved in the preseason he can hold his own. That's what the season is going to be based on. Him showing flashes and giving hope that that's the future. And really, that's all you're going to need from Haskins, right? You're just going to need to see some flashes whereas then people can go into next season and be like, okay, we saw some stuff there, enough there to make us believe that this is our future. Right. That's that there's hope for the future with this guy as the quarterback that this team can then build around that guy. Once you have that guy, everything else becomes easier. It becomes, and at least, like you said, the fans have hope. So that, that's, that's what they need most down here, just like up there. Hey, Jordan, thanks a lot for joining me. Appreciate John, it. Let me, just, let me just explain one thing to you before, before we leave and All how right. important that position is and that, how much that's the only thing that matters. First two games. 
Saquon Barkley averages almost eight yards a carry. 200-yard <laughs> rushing games, right? Right. The Giants, the Giants didn't top 17 points. <laughs> Daniel Jones comes in. Saquon Barkley has 10 rushing yards on eight carries, gets hurt. The Giants scored more points in that one game than the first two games combined. That's what That's, the quarterback position means in today's game of football. And, and I even look at it here, and again, I, you know, with Case Keenum, disaster Monday night. In those first two games, 48 points looked pretty good. There was a lot left on the field. I think with better quarterback play, you'd have been talking about maybe a one-and-one start at, at worst there. Well, maybe not worst because the defense was terrible, but yeah. you would have been you talking about a different – you'd have been talking about a different – Right, you'd have been talking about a different offense, if nothing else, because the plays were available there. So – should be a fun one on Sunday. So we'll see what happens there, Jordan. Thanks a lot for coming on. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday, John. After this break, I'll be back to answer your podcast mailbag questions. A Therapy Thursday episode. We're talking Dwayne Haskins and Bruce Allen. Okay, I promise you it was Therapy Thursday. That means your podcast mailbag questions need to get answered. So here we go. There's a few topics in particular, and then one off the topic at the end. So Stephen McDonald's going to start it off for us at Steve0804. Basically wants to know if reports that um, Dwayne Haskins gets only scout team reps are true, what's the plan if Keenum gets injured during a game? Um, he says it seems like flawed thinking to, me, to him that he doesn't get any reps during practice. And I think that's a fair question because I think it's something that people maybe just don't know um, how things go on. I will tell you that it's pretty normal for backups not to get first-team reps during practice. And it, it varies by teams, but I would say most starting quarterbacks will get all the first-team reps. So, But here we are, Stephen, with questions about Case Keenum's readiness for Sunday's game against the Giants. As I tape this, I still expect Keenum to play and even if he doesn't, it would take Haskins playing well for him to continue as a starter. So the question will, so your question still has validity or at least um, relevancy. Um, so in case Haskins does have to play. So, but just like last season when they went through all those quarterback changes, they do have a plan in case this happens. They'll have a package of plays that Haskins can run that he showed a higher comfort level with during the offseason and then in August. But the point of running the reps during the week is to get the starter ready for the game. And I wanted to share a uh, text with you that I got from somebody else in the league about this topic. And I asked, I was asking him too, because people asked me, they're like, okay, I know this is fairly common, but I just want to run around the league a little bit and ask some people. And basically this kind of sums it up. And um, he said, it's not a new staff at the beginning of their program. They are trying to survive. And I think that's why I've always felt this is a mismatched situation, but it's why Keenum's going to get all the reps for right now. And also keep in mind that, you know, if you're if you're trying to get ready to win a game and you have minimal reps during a practice, because they only practice for about one hour and 45 minutes or so, a lot of other stuff to do. Um, if you're going two and a half hours, you could do more, but they don't. And mo no teams really go that long during the season. Anyway, so if you have minimal reps, who do you give them to? A new quarterback who you know is going to play, who's going to start for you, or a young quarterback you don't feel is ready and who won't play barring injury? Jay Gruden might not be here next year, so do you think he really cares about prepping Haskins for 2020? Enough to take away reps from the guy who can help him win now? No. But they are doing things to help Haskins. 
The scout team reps or those first team reps aren't the key to his development. Trust me, not by a long shot. Those get you ready for a game. It doesn't necessarily, the areas that he is working on are things they can work on before, during, after practice. I talk about all that. Again, I have a story. I talked to Haskins last week about this and their quarterbacks coach, Tim Rattay. It's up on ESPN.com right now. Go check it out. And I know some others wanted to know about what other teams do with their scout team reps. And again, I said most teams are going to go with the um, with the starter for all the reps. But this is a unique situation because it's rookie. So let's. Ch- I checked with a couple, three teams that had rookie quarterbacks in the last year. The Browns did not give Baker Mayfield any reps until he became the starter. Before you say that's the Browns, you should know that the Ravens didn't give any to Lamar Jackson either until he supplanted Joe Flacco. There are few, again, there are few reps available during the week. Um, let's go to the New York Giants. I know that Daniel Jones got maybe 10% of the Giants reps. We're talking a couple reps per practice. And one difference here, I believe the Giants knew he would play soon, especially based on his preseason play. Can't say that's the tr- that's why they did it, but that would make sense to me why they would do that. And also, you had a guy in Eli Manning who was well versed in the offense, so that made a difference too. I think if Case Keenum um, had been so well as well versed in this offense, then you can sneak a couple snaps for Haskins because you know that 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 could be something you need to do, especially if you know if he has to go and play. Um, but Haskins was not ready after the preseason in their minds. And so this is where we are. And I think one thing to keep in mind with this offense um, is just, and I asked this, this guy in the league too, why is, you know, is Gruden's offense more complicated than other offenses? Is it harder to learn? And it's more the style of the offense is, is a complicated one. Every NFL offense is complicated. There's no simplistic offense, but some coaches may have a system that's better suited for a rookie playing right now than others. And I think in this West Coast system, and I know what you say, well, tailor it. You, you tailor it to what you do overall as an offense. Um, and I think, you know, what you can do well. And in this offense, you need to be well-versed before you get on the field for this reason. Because, like, for example, they're going to have answers to everything that the defense presents. That's why I think you see guys open in this offense. So if you have zone on one side, a man on the, on the other, you have answers for those coverages. But the key here is it's not like you just walk in, okay, that's man, that's zone. You have to be able to read it properly. You have to know based on your study, based on you know their history, and based on whatever that that you can read that properly. And that means that not just pre-snap, but post-snap. That takes a lot of study and a lot to get used to. And you have to read it quickly. And especially, especially behind this offensive line, you've got to read it quickly. And I think that's one reason why they were pretty good. The first two games moving the ball through the air is for that reason. So that's among the things that you have to get used to. Then there's footwork on the different drops and footworks in the quick game, things that Haskins did not do in college. There's a lot to build on here. It's not just, hey, he didn't get these first-team reps. There's so much more. Again, go back and read the story. Haskins has progressed in some key areas. I think he's a smart kid. I think he'll get there. His footwork on certain throws has been better from what I've been told. Um, and as well as I think his knowledge of the offense. And someone else asked, how do we know how he's how ready he is? Well, I get it by talking to a lot of people, players, coaches, executives in the team. That's how I, I, I know because we're not out there watching practice, but they are. They're in the meetings, and they need to win. So they're going to play the guy they feel that like gives them the best chance. And I think eventually that will be Haskins. Um, when that is, I don't know. My guess would be it's when they're completely out of it, unless, again, barring injury. So um, let's go on to BG Obsession. He wants to know, um, Snyder was considered 
way too, basically, I'm going to sum it up. Snyder was considered way too impatient early in his tenure. Now Skins fans hate him for his patience and inaction. Which version is best? So um, it's about being patient with the right people. That's the key. He was definitely way too impatient early in his ownership tenure. Uh, the coaches he fired, I'd say North Turner was let go too soon. Should not have been fired during a season, which they still had a shot at the playoffs. And then firing Marty Schottenheimer set this franchise back a long way. It wasn't just Schottenheimer you got rid of. It was John Schneider. Just think what this franchise could have done, but that wasn't going to happen. It wasn't just, that wasn't about impatience as much as it was, I think, ego and, and, and control and whatever. Um, Steve Spurrier, two years, would have been fired, should have been fired had he not resigned. That would have been deserved. Zorn, two years, deserved. Shanahan, four years. That one got messed up, and you can just you can blame whoever, but the but it wasn't working um, for whatever reason. You can put the blame wherever you want. Um, they had three losing seasons out of four. Shanahan obviously was was a good coach, but this is a tough environment to coach in, tough situation, and that's why that one ended. So was that impatient? I don't know that that was impatient. I think there were other issues at play there. So yes, he has been patient with this group, and he certainly allowed everyone in this regime a chance to prove what they can do. If Jay Gruden is fired, he'll be the first coach under Snyder who was let go, who can say that he got every chance imaginable. But do you think it's been good for Snyder to be so patient with Bruce Allen? Again, it's patience with the people who warrant it. That's the key. All right, now let's move on. Um, we're going to go to some ownership questions. Dan, Steve, Mike, at FatherTime31 wants to know basically why Bruce Allen, what's the logic in keeping him? And I'll try to give you the thinking from what I've gathered in keeping him because um, I've asked these questions. I think I'm sure others have too. Um, this is what I've come up with. For starters, he's been good with helping Snyder save money and lots of it. And for any business, that matters. Also, it's because of how he helps represent the team in league matters. He takes the heat and protects Dan Snyder. He sticks up for Dan in these meetings. So there's a, and Snyder, trust me, one of the things that he prizes is when people stick up for him. So there's a loyalty factor on Snyder's behalf. My understanding is, and talking to some people, is that they're pretty much in sync with what's going on, what they want to do, etc. I also know he takes a lot of heat off the coaches. That's not a reason to keep him, but it is a benefit for the coaches. Um, I also don't know what will happen if this season becomes a complete disaster. If what Snyder would do with Allen. No, we're not at that point just yet. Scary to say. If it gets there, I have to believe that all bets are off and that nobody should be safe. Whether or not they are, I don't know. I don't know that Allen, you know, I think if it's a kind of a middling year, I think that Allen probably survives. If it's an outright disaster, I just don't know how you don't clean house. Um, but I don't own this team. I do know that he made the change with Vinny Serrato, who was tight with his family. So I, I think you, you know, I always keep that in mind that I don't know, does anybody have a, a job for life here? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but I do know that there's a lot going on that, that keeps Allen tied here. Um, so we'll see. And, and Allen really knows whose opinion he must satisfy. All right, let's go to Anthony Dell Senor at McRae Dell. Um, my perception of Allen's chances at staying staying the GM president. He also talks about the culture. They haven't created one, and he's absolutely right. They haven't. That's that's we've seen that. I don't know if Snyder would strip Allen of the GM title or if Allen would want to give that up. I did have one person in the league who suggested that they should, and then they should hire Morocco Brown, who used to be here, gets along with Bruce Allen, knows the situation here, works well with them, and is now with the Colts and they should hire him for the GM job. That was this suggestion. They could keep Kyle Smith around. I have a lot of respect for Kyle Smith. I think he's a smart guy and a big-time grinder, and I think that that matters. Um, I think the one thing, I think you know, he has a good reputation, but keep in mind that I don't think they're going to lose him just because 
I think it's hard to go from a situation like what the Redskins have and then get hired for a prominent role elsewhere. Owners have to sell that guy to the fans, and it'd be hard to sell anybody to their fan base who comes from the Redskins front office right now. Um, So the next question I would have with this, though, is that would Allen still have his hands all over the football side? What proof exists that he wouldn't? Would Snyder hire a GM and let him hire a new coach? That's how it should work. But if you, if you, you know, so, but I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen there, but that's, you know, I know there was some talk of that last year. I don't know that it was very real, Um, but you're right. The culture starts at the top, period. All this talk about firing some of the lower coaches, Greg Minuski, whatever, ignores really the real issues as far as what's going on in this organization. Nobody has really come out of here um, as a coach better than when they came in necessarily. So, I mean, even Joe Gibbs had two losing seasons here. Um, Anyway, Antmansorf11 wants to know about a rebuild. Trade Trent, Reed, Josh Norman, Kerrigan for draft picks. Sink the season for the number one overall pick. Why not? Well, I think the best time to do this was last offseason. Before I go further, no, it's not wise to throw everything away and try for the number one pick. Do you know how long that would take to get back up? Do you trust that this organization, which could not build on a nine-win season, could do what it takes to start over after, say, a one-win season. Now, again, that would depend if you clean house, too. I think that's something to me. Listen, they might get to that point anyways, so who knows? Um, this notion that it would somehow work would work is just inaccurate. I think it's a, it's a hard thing. I know it's become the in vogue thing because it, you know, in some other sports teams did it. The Browns got Baker Mayfield. The Browns haven't done anything yet, um, so we don't know what's going to happen. Um, with that. The Dolphins, they're doing it, but how do we know that that's going to work? So I don't think there's any proof of that. Um, but anyway, as far as the rebuild stuff, and this comes with some hindsight, but I would not have been against this last offseason had they done all these moves, had they made, you know, had they made a coaching change. I think that would have started there um, because I think you'd look, be looking at this team in a different light right now. Um, I doubt anyone would have given much for Norm because of the contract. Reed comes with health risks. Maybe you could have gotten something for him. Um, but you could have shed salaries if nothing else. And if you were going to do that, you should have fired Gruden after 2018, ripped that Band-Aid off, and start over with a new coach. Could they make some of these moves now if all is lost by the trade deadline? Sure. They could really work hard to trade Trent Williams. I would do that. I would work hard to do that. Um, Kerrigan, I don't know that I'd see that happening. They prize him. I think they'd be loyal to him unless he went to them and asked to be traded. But, you know, who the heck knows? But I do, the thinking is proper. I think we're going to get to that point after the season. Um, and then finally, a different topic, John Taman at Bang Radio Hour. It's a Steven Sims question. I'd like to know, he says he likes what they've done with Sims. Will they design more plays to use a very dynamic set of skills? I like what he adds, and yeah, I can see it expanding, but keep in mind he plays the same spot as Trey Quinn. So when you're playing in the slot, you have to know a lot, and I mean a lot. And that's where he had a tough adjustment during training camp. That's my understanding. And I think that even Jay Gruden talked about him learning the offense. That's a big key here. And not just learning the offense. It's learning to be in sync with the quarterback and reading it the same way as the quarterback as far as the coverage is. Not everything is just, okay, this is the route. You're going to run this route, and then you go. There's, you have to read the defensive back. You have to read the coverage and then know which way to go on these choice and option routes. Um, the team raved about Jamison Crowder in this area, and they like Trey Quinn in this way too. Sims has to build up to that. Another factor to keep in mind is that Quinn also helps them as a blocker. That matters. Even if the running game stinks, they still need that help. But I know your question was more about expanding the role a little bit. And so, yeah, I can see them designing a couple more plays so he can provide more help. And some of that depends on them keeping the ball, converting on third down, giving them more opportunities to get to their playbook in that way, keeping the score close so you can use that playbook. 
unlike what they were doing the other night. Um, they don't have enough playmakers in offense, so they need to work with those who have that ability. Find a few more ways to get him the ball, I agree. That's it for Therapy Thursday. Thank you for your questions. I hope it helps. The doctor is now out. Okay, now I'm going to wrap up this episode trying to do something a little bit new, not making everything about football and life and death with the Redskins. Let's take a look at some barbecue. I'm bringing on Chef Mel to talk some barbecue. Get your, get your pen and paper ready. Here are a few tips. So now I'm here with Chef Mel and... You guys should know if you follow any of the beat reporters on, on Twitter, every Friday, it's Chef Mel Friday. He's always bringing great food for us. He has 12 tables. I'm going to let Mel, Chef Mel plug this stuff in a minute. But I'm bringing on Chef Mel because I'm doing a new thing every week. I want to talk some barbecue. And whether it's for something you can do at home, whether you do at a tailgate. So that's why I'm talking to Mel today. So Mel, first of all, thanks for joining me. Why don't you plug what, you're, what you got going here with, with uh, 12 Tables. I'm with Chef Mel with 12 Tables, Elegant Dining. You can find me on Twitter at Chef Mel 12 Tables. Also on Instagram, I am Chef Mel and 12 Tables, Elegant Dining for Instagram. So right here today, we're talking about barbecue. We're talking about barbecue. So that's what I want to get. You're, you're going to give someone a bar- I want some barbecue tips. Not necessarily, yes, necessarily recipes right away, but we'll get to some food talk in a minute. Number one barbecue tip for you. All right, number one is to make sure that your temperature is right on your barbecue. Make sure that your grill is set right uh, with the right amount of cold and everything in there. And also, you don't have uh, high heat. You don't want it to be really fired up and you burn your food. So you want to have it at the right temperature. You actually want you know, the smoke to, to come out, the flavor. What to you is the, and I know it depends on the meat. Yeah. Ideal temperature for, in general, what would you say? Oh, man. It, it depends on the it meat, depends. too. I know yeah, it depends, depends what you're doing. I know it's so, a hard one. You know, so, like, yeah, it's a, so if a, you're doing chicken, <laughs> like you want the you know the ribs, I'm trying to go 250, 275. You want to stay, stay around that zone. Like I said, you can always turn it up a notch. Right. You can always like, turn your temperature up, but you, you don't want to keep on turning it down. You want to you just, just keep it at a certain uh, temperature at all times. But the most important thing is that this, the, that's the most important thing, the number one tip I would give anyone when they're grilling is to make sure that your temperature is right. And also make sure you season your, your food up properly and everything the way you need to and uh, keep it in the refrigerator until you get ready to cook. <laughs> right. And I think now you're, I know you got a ton of recipes and all that. What are some of the, like, if you're doing ribs, for example, mm-hmm. what's the one thing that you got to make sure is on the ribs as far as seasoning? Ooh, the one thing is that smoked paprika. You got to have that smoked paprika. You got to have, it's that redness that you want to see yeah. on those ribs so you get that smoke flavor as well that, that goes on there. It's, it's perfect for ribs. Yeah, I'm a big paprika and smoked paprika fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just, it, you got to be. You got to be. You put that on there, and then, you know, your normal seasoning, salt and pepper, and then you add your other seasonings right, to whatever it. whatever you your want. Your barbecue seasonings, yeah, whatever you want. What's your go-to, John? For the recipe? Yeah, for, the, for your for ribs. The, for the ribs, well, the, it, paprika to me is, or smoked paprika, either one, I, I love that on there. And then just like the my go, 
what I'm learning and the more I do it is the flavor profiles, building profiles. So, yes. so you're either, you know, you put your base rub on, but I'm putting mustard on first. Mm-hmm. And I can, sometimes it's great poupon, something, whatever, get the stick, gets a little bit of flavor. And then a little, but I also want a little bit of heat in there too. So I want a little bit of like um, some some red hot, some the red hot pepper, a little bit of that on there too, just to give it, just to give it a little bit of a kick. I say what, John? You really do know what you're doing, and you know, in the kitchen, I take there that on the grill. I think you got it. Well, there you go. That's the best thing I've heard all day. But the other, because the other thing to me is, and then it's like with the ribs. So let's, I want to talk about the ribs for a minute. If you're doing ribs, there are a bunch of methods to do. What mm-hmm. is your favorite method to cook ribs? First, I marinate my ribs. Second, I, I actually I put them on a the smoker or you put them on your grill and you want to actually just uh, slow cook them because you want them nice and tender. You want them nice like on the fall off the bone, right. but not off the bone, but just enough to, you know, get... And, you know, honestly, I don't even like putting barbecue sauce on my meat. I'm with you. I don't think that you need barbecue sauce to I'm make it. I like to taste my meat. So uh, the seasoning is all what I, what I really need. I am with you on that. Like, I, I'll... I used to put some on there, but I remember one time going to a Me restaurant yeah. and I, they smothered it with sauce. I'm like, the reason they did it, because there was no flavor otherwise. No flavor. If there's like, if I'm doing it right, because here's the, the way I put the, um, for my ribs, I'll do the three, two, one method. So three hours, smoke the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Two hours, wrap. But when I'm wrapping them, I'm putting a little bit of liquid in there, whether beer, apple cider, something like that. And then the bed of brown sugar, butter, and barbecue sauce. And then on top of the ribs, do that with a little bit of honey on there too. Mm. That's where I'm getting some of the some extra flavor. That's that flavor profile. There's definitely the flavor profile. Yeah. That's what you need right there. Yeah. So and then all right, last 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 one. Then what is it? What's another tip? So we got the fire going. You get your meat with the wood. What what's your favorite? I know it depends on the meat too. Now you could do the apple wood. You could do you know pecan. You could do. You could do a different amount of flavors of, of wood. You could mix them up a little bit. It's, you want to just have the flavor that you want. It's actually, when you're cooking, it depends on who you're cooking for or what you're doing. You actually want to go to your liking of preferences of different uh, woods and, and what you want to use. But uh, me, like I said, just get everything out the kitchen you got and, and put it all on, on, on a grill and, and make it all work. For, you know, with my, I was, I like the, I like the fruit flavored woods. Is there one that you'd say don't, use this wood stay away from this one yeah not necessarily i mean like i said it's your it's your preference on what you what you really want to use on your barbecue it's your barbecue <laughs> and, and it is so and then with how much wood would you put on like are you you know yeah i get those big wood chunks and they don't sell a lot of apple logs here anyway. uh, you know you want to you can get the big ones like the small ones it's like not to just to build your fire up proper way um like I said, it's always how often are you adding the? Are, are oh, you adding it all? all oh, the you time? gotta add now. So, like you add it, like, like how it's, often? It's a process. If you smoking, is a is a process of a process of hours. Of uh, you know, you get your first first hour or two, you're getting that smoke ready, right. you're getting seeing it coming out. Then you get the second process of you just adding on more, you know, fire and everything to it, just to keep that temperature right and to keep everything going. So you're adding about three or four times. Um, how much are you putting on there like when you're first putting the coals on there and how much of the wood chunks would you put on there how many of them just a few pieces just a few pieces just to get the flavor in there just a flavor profile to to come into play Um, other than that you know just let it let it let it ride let it let the let the smoke do us you know do its thing awesome thanks Mel fun conversation I love this stuff (laughs) hey I love it too man cool that's it for this week thank you to Jordan Ronan for joining me Chef Mel as well And thank you for your questions as well as for listening. Talk to you next time.